Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Inside Track podcast. And let me thank you for your good wishes and feedback after our first session a couple of weeks back with Christoph. Today's conversation will be interesting, I promise. Lisa Oxley is someone that I've known for a while now, and I'm really pleased that she has agreed to get involved today, as I think she will provide a different perspective on delivering transformation. After all, she's a finance director and CFO and has instigated and led major programs of change across multiple organisations throughout her career. It's great that you can join us today, Lisa. Uh, thanks for agreeing to take part. Um, I was interested in getting you involved uh, as you have a diverse experience of delivering change and transformation across a range of sectors and functions. Uh, do you want to start by providing the listeners with a little bit more background on you and, the, and, and your experience to date? Okay, so thanks, Tony, and it's nice to come and talk to you today um, about that, about transformation, really. Um, I got involved, I uh, started as an um, accountant in uh, BAE Systems, and I, I learned my trade at BAE Systems, and what a great company to work from a discipline and support um, nature for um, accountants there. So I did about 10 years at BAE Systems and worked on some of their larger aircraft programs. I think that was the first time I came into contact with programs that were in trouble. So we'll all be aware of the Nimrod program. And at the mm. time, BA Systems and the government embarked on a uh, contract to <laughs> life some Nimrod programs. And it actually turned out to be more costly than having built new aircraft uh, because the, uh, the Nimrod planes at the time were hand built. So precision engineering had moved on. <laughs> and it was very, very difficult to attach precision built um, new aircraft wings to hand-built planes that vary I think fuselage varied by about six or seven inches in some areas wow. the result of aircraft fatigue and, and having been flown so um, that was a fascinating piece of uh, work as a, an accountant learning how to provide the right level of finance and support to engineers trying to work themselves through solving the problems um, eventually, that program was deemed to be um, unaffordable by the British government and then being able to work with BA systems to work out how to exit um, in the right way for the government and in the right way for the company was also challenging. So leaving BAE systems, I went to work for BT to start to look at software programs and BT was um, front and centre of the national program for IT which was about rolling out patient care records. Yeah, um, I remember that as well. Yeah, and making sure that if you, I think the whole ethos of the, the patient care record was that if you were um, run over on the road, God forbid, uh, you, were, you were knocked down, then you'd be able to explain your surname and some minor details about yourself and that the paramedics would be able to understand your blood type and any of you and access your GP records such that you'd be able to get great patient care yeah. on the spot. So if you were allergic to penicillin or any of those items. It's quite interesting, Lisa. Uh, we, we're recording this the day after the UK government announced that um, they were going to use uh, Huawei to get involved in the 5G uh, capability in the, in the UK. And, and on the news last night, they were given an example of how 5G would be able to help. And the example was the paramedics, as they're, as they're taking a, an injured person into hospital, would be able to access the patient records. So from that Exactly. Point, and patient care digitalisation has always you know, been front and centre of the, the UK government's plans to improve healthcare. 
The first piece of work we did was on the, uh, the spine uh, record database. And the second piece of work that we did to turn that program, which was loss making at the time, to turn that program around for BT was akin to the patient care records. There was a, a transformational piece of work done in the London acute hospitals to make sure that patient care records flowed through the hospitals correctly through all the different departments. And, and, and on both those programmes, you were uh, the finance lead within that transformation? Is, yeah, is... I was the finance director for both of those. And both of those programmes really, you know, in terms of transformation, those programmes were both loss-making. The spine one was um, uh, significantly loss-making and we turned it round. And as a result of the work that we did, to change the way we were delivering and forecasting that business. I then went and did a piece of work to change the way and renegotiate the contracts on the, um, on the London programme. Right. right. Well, that's fascinating uh, as well, isn't it? Because you know, we, we, we talk a lot when we talk about transformation programmes that um, the finance director tends to be not necessarily the sponsor, but on those, one of those key stakeholders, um, but tends to be uh, slightly removed and what you're saying is actually you were smack bang in the middle of driving that sort of change in mindset, change in approach. Yeah, so I read a, a fascinating uh, report yesterday. There was one on LinkedIn about how uh, transformational CFOs, I think it was, I think it said they're like gold dust. Right. So, um, there are, there are different um, types of accountants and I'll, I'll, there are always different types of accountants in, in this world. And I'm one of those that rolls my sleeves up and gets involved. So I've been less focused on, um, not that I haven't got the capability, but I've been less focused on things like specialisms of treasury, pensions, etc. Just because there are experts in the field and I think that that's a specialism that, you know, it's got to float your boat for want yeah. of a better word. I've been far more interested in being able to make impact and either improve efficiency or make change in a business or reduce the uncertainty that change has brought. Mm. So we've got to remember that transformation, you know, it is radical change. Otherwise it'd be called change, not transformation. Yeah. So it's radical, it's fundamental. And all that drives into uncertainty and risk into a business and to people. Yeah. And I'm far more interested, and I think early on in my career, I realized business is nothing without its people, or a program's nothing without its people. You put transformation in front of people, they become uncertain. You've got to be honest with those people and be up front of center of. You're right, we don't know all the answers yet, but let's find them out together. And I think role modeling that behavior as the CFO and recognizing that it isn't about how cheap we can do it, it's about how much value we can create and finding that middle line allows people to think i'm in safe hands here yeah if people feel safer transformation is much easier to grip absolutely so i interrupt you were you were, you were mid-flow in terms of that sort of um route that you took to uh to, in, in your sort of transformation career yeah so um i think in in bt's uh terms with the national program for it that at the time, the Public Accounts Committee was um, explain, trying to understand the value of the National Programme for IT. And there was a lot of press coverage, negative press coverage in general, about how the government was contracting with industry for major programmes, particularly IT programmes that were naturally overspending. Yes, yeah. Um, and there was a lot of negative press about 
horse specifications, etc. You know, uh, and for me, when you when you create a contract that's a ten year contract with a company and industry to transform a service and deliver it, there will always be unknown unknowns at the outset. Yes. yes. So. I think the what, sheer length of that contract would, would the yeah, length, changes, doesn't it? So. scope, the evolution, the changes in business at that point in time. I think early on in in um, in in the way that you know pre the government maturing in its way of contracting these and and industry. Let's you know make a mind about it. The approach was very risk averse, so it was kind of punting risk to anyone who'd take it regardless of whether they could control it or not yes maturity has been allowed to recognize that if we build flexibility into a contract and we build a contract that enables change to happen and you rely much more on principles and a framework then all you do is you apply that issue or that risk that's come up to that framework and say who's best to manage it who's best to control it that's going to be the cheapest outcome in the long term. Mm -hmm. So it, it's that maturity then, once that's seeded inside you, you start to look at every contract and every problem and challenge you've got in terms of how, who's best to manage this? Where's it best set? And how do we you know, break it up so that we can manage it and control it? Not just from a, is it cheaper to do it that way, but what's most effective? Yes, yeah. So that was BT. Um, and then I left, uh, I left BT, I was in London at the time. I, I, I did, I've done probably 10 years in London full time. I worked for a, a global media company. Well, that was fantastic. So working out of a, moving from a corporate, uh, two blue chip companies, BAE Systems and BT, who are very disciplined in their approach um, to a digital media company, a global digital media company, dealing with creatives who... <laughs> who uh, often came to the office in flip-flops and shorts, um, was, uh, was a fantastic change in environment. I worked on a global replatforming there. So the, uh, the way that media company works is it felt like a massive franchise. It was very acquisitive. We bought globally, we literally bought hundreds of companies whilst I was there in the three years. And instead of homogenizing those companies, which yeah. is what the corporate would do. We merely looked for ways that synchronized them into our business. So what could we have that united us? Well, that was great. It felt very much like a favor whenever they did anything. <laughs> um, and also these companies you were buying, you bought them and you made them multimillionaires immediately. Yes. It wasn't like on a corporate way you say, well, obviously you do what we say because there's an authority and a delegation. Here it was kind of like, well, would this be right for your business? Or, so we had a, a mandate to deliver a project, but we didn't really have any life. You know, we had nothing other than an option for them to, to take it up. So the, the program was about... Stakeholder um, management there would have been quite interesting then. Oh, they were fantastic. And then you've got to put in that melting pot. They were global. Yeah. So I was literally doing negotiations with Russian people one day, okay, Germans another and Italians the next. Well, I've never met such diverse cultures. Yes, exactly. And the way you negotiate to get a Russian person to try and help you do something is completely different than you would an Italian. And the way that people turn, 
I just, I didn't think I'd been aware of global organizations anywhere near as, as obvious as it was, but what a melting pot. Yes, absolutely. And then um, I came to Capita. So I think if I'm really honest, um, the reason why I left that global media company is previously I'd worked in an awful lot of companies that made a difference. So delivering healthcare for BT, we all felt like we were delivering something that was additive to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always had a bit of a, if I'm going to work this hard, you know, it's got to be for something. Mm-hmm. When I went and worked in media, we were working on campaigns for mini, mini ones. And we were working on, and these guys were so creative, so brilliant. But really, I didn't feel like I was adding value. And that's an inner values thing. But it didn't feel to me like I was, uh, that, that it was adding as much as it could. I came to work for Capita because we were delivering IT services into the government contracts and they were actually delivering revenue and benefits for local devolved councils. We were delivering hosting for government. And now at the moment I'm working, you know, with the Ministry of Justice. I feel like I'm delivering things that are part of improving life in the UK. So, so you've been involved in, in just on, on the ones that you've just discu- uh, described there, some really challenging situations uh, and, and challenging uh, projects or challenging uh, transformations. Um, which, which have you found the most enjoyable? In terms of as a person enjoyable and learning about people culturally, I think that the, the transformation at Dentsu when I got to meet loads of different people from loads of different cultures was fantastic. Yeah. In terms of uh, adding real value and helping people, I think that working in the housing industry with Onward on amalgamating their business and allowing them to remove all the false barriers that were in their group of companies to allow them to leverage better spend and recognize that we could refinance across the business, collapse all the companies together and provide them access to funds to be able to build hundreds of houses, thousands of houses across the Northwest without having to refinance, gave me a real sense of having set that company up for its next five years of able to deliver to the homeless and deliver to social housing to people in the Northwest. When I see Onward building and a development program with Onward, to think I've helped play a big part in driving that is really helping people. Absolutely. And, and I was going to come on to that, Will, because previous to that, a lot of what you've done was, as you say, working in transformation programs and um, being the finance lead, the finance director for those programs. Um, but when you went into Onward, you were a CFO and, and being part of that senior C-suite team that was driving a massive transformation into the business. I think there is definitely a difference between being the CFO in a, a company that where you are the signature on the audited accounts at the end of the year versus being the finance director of a, let's even call it a billion pound division within a corporate, because it's different. It isn't different in transformational role modeling and behaviors. 
and it isn't necessarily different in delivering change, okay? It, it's different because you have much more of an external perspective and a stakeholder perspective when you operate at that CFO level. Mm -hmm. So you have much more of a concern and much less protection from the outside world. Um, and you need to be absolutely cognizant of uh, reputation, pace of change, and all of those, those issues there. And you also need to become much more rounded and aware of pensions, tax, specialisms, all the things that provide your people, your team, and, and I don't just mean procurement and IT at the time because I run all those departments, I kind of mean the wider team. Mm -hmm. you need be protective of all of those people because actually yeah that's your responsibility to them as a finance director and now as a as a business transformation director alongside finance director here the strategy is still emergent from me the driving force is still emergent from me in the same way okay but instead of getting a board to sponsor and agree and then be the engine for change here, it's about, it's much more shared across the patch in terms of testing and being able to affect change and leverage a group shared service or resource. It feels a lot more like I've got access to capital's strength and numbers and depth, whereas problem solving as a CFO feels a lot more lonely. Right of a better word not in a bad way it's in a it's in a great way it's a great sense of um sense of achievement but there was much less strength and depth that onward to lean back on um and i was much more focused in onward about looking four five six steps ahead because the strategy we were carving at the same time onwards identity we were carving at the same time here i'm problem solving in a trench that we've we've built and is well known right yeah interesting and and, and the and, and the skills that you've developed uh, and the experience that you've had um obviously you've been successful at translating it into different sectors and, and they say different roles what what do you think are the sort of three or four core elements that you've been able to utilize and ensured your success as you've gone through your career I think accountants aren't, aren't necessarily, I think, I think the difference between me uh, and myself and, and other accountants um, is uh, accountants aren't well known for their emotional intelligence. <laughs> and I think that I, I have a good read on when people are feeling uncomfortable with change. Right. Unfortunately for some people, that's, uh, you know, that, that doesn't affect my bounding enthusiasm, passion, and need to run at 150 miles an hour, okay? But what I can do is I can see pretty clearly when I'm driving the bus and everyone else is running behind it because they can't catch up. Yes. So what I can do then is stop, go back, make sure we've picked people up and make sure we take them on the journey. And recognizing that transformation, you probably have to tell people three times everything. You have to tell them the first time and they look at you the second time. Just because change doesn't, just doesn't happen overnight. It's yeah. an iterative yeah. process. Um, 
And actually the best change is when you've told them two or three times and then they say to you, well, actually, I think I quite, I think it would be better if we did it quite just this way. Mm. And then actually, you know, you've really caught change because actually they've taken it on board and they've made it their own. Absolutely. Well, they really won the argument. So I think the, f- the first thing is, is emotional intelligence, being able to read that audience, whoever that audience be, and being able to go on the journey, make sure they're coming on the journey with you. And they're not on the bus then. We haven't really, there's no point setting up. Yeah. I think the second thing is, is in this time of uncertainty, trust and fun are really important tool sets. So another thing accountants aren't well known for is fun. <laughs> fun isn't drinking or going out and having beers and all the rest of it. Fun is about caring, taking time out, and just you know ensuring that people are happy and enjoying the work. And if they're not saying, well, let's stop for a minute. Let's work out how we can make this better for everybody. Yeah. Because frankly, you know, some elements of it won't be fun, but we need to work out how we can have as much fun through the journey as we can do. Um, and I think, I think being credible is really important too. And that's credible, not just as an accountant, but in, in breadth. Mm-hmm. So listening, thinking, and hearing what people are saying and then going away paying heed to it and trying to help solve some of these problems and bringing other people in and having a network to help with these problems is also really important. I think those are the aspects that I've lent, you know, when, when I've encountered problems on transformation, it's either because people haven't come on the journey with me, mm-hmm. people are morales down because we're not happy and we're not having fun on this part of the journey or I'm not listening enough to people. And actually I've started to go one way and people are saying, well, this won't fundamentally work because actually we don't think she's hearing yeah. this will address the change. Yeah. That, I don't know if that... No, it, it, it does. And, and there's, uh, there's one word I think that sort of sums all of that up and it's, it's about engagement. It's, it's engaging totally, uh, your teams, good, your, 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 your whole team from frontline staff to your senior management team and, and, and as you say taking them on the journey because transformation is a journey and uh, it doesn't just happen if I went onto LinkedIn now and, and put in transformation I bet there's hundreds of things that have been published just today on transformation uh, but all too often they talk about the activities and ignore the people side in that engaging that uh, uh, and, and it is the people that really deliver and, and, and are if, if you get that part right, you, 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 you're nine-tenths of the way there, I find. Totally, totally, totally. So solving business problems gets me giddy. I do that in the shower in the morning. Do you know what I mean? I can solve problems all day long, but making change happen is about engaging with people. Just before we finish off, obviously, you know, you're, you're a busy person. You enjoy that, um, as you say, that challenge. What, what do you do to sort of chill out and, and relax and, and sort of recuperate? Or do you not, you just sort of like full on all the time? No, we definitely have PJ days. Um, <laughs> so I think, uh, so I exercise. I, I, I started um, uh, making sure that I took regular exercise probably two or three times a week. I find that I was never, physically, I was never, you know, I never excelled at any sports or anything like that. I lack natural rhythm. (laughs) So in uh, aerobics classes, I'd be the girl going the other way. 
so I started doing uh, I'd started doing a bit of weight training, um, which is I think it's become more popular for females anyway. Not not Olympic lifting or anything significant, but some weight training two or three times a week. And then also, there's nothing better than if you've been stuck in an office all week long, getting out on a hill and having a good old walk on a Sunday morning. So most Sunday mornings, I'll be up at eight o'clock in the morning, I'll be out and I'll be on a hill. And even if it's horizontal rain or snow or sleet or whatever, I'll be warm and then I'll, and then, um, I'll, I'll be all tucked up in me anorak and me woolly hat and all the rest of it. I'll get out there, I'll have three or four hours and then Sunday lunch and, and that's the end of the day for me, PJ day for the rest of the day. Uh, yeah. All of those kind of things that just allow you to be physically tired rather than mentally tired at the end of the day. Well, there's so much um, evidence now, isn't there, around sort of the well-being aspect of nature and the impact yeah. that nature can have. Um, I think there's some great stuff around mental health and uh, being in the workday in stressful environments at the moment. I think times have changed and I think people do uh, internalise stress a lot more. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, fortunately, I'm one of those people that doesn't internalise stress, you know. I believe, um, but I can see if if I've had a very busy week and there are concerns that are worrying me, getting out on a hill, I can have sorted anything. Yeah. I think you know, allowing your brain that time to check out and think through things subconsciously, which just makes a massive difference. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm a I'm one of these mammals and go cycling. And, uh, and, and it was part of it was around sort of exercise, but more importantly, it's when I'm on the bike and I'm just cycling, no one can bother me. No one can interrupt me. There's no phones going. So you just zone out and, and you put the world to rights um, yeah. just by being, you know, being on your It's own important ride. to have me time. It is definitely important to have me time, whether it be five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever per day. It's important to have that, you know, no iPhone, no laptop me time absolutely so um before we sort of finish off if you had to boil all of your experience down into one core takeaway for the listeners today what 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 would that be what would be the one thing that you think makes the difference in successful delivery of transformation i think we've touched on it i think we'd reuse your word engagement Mm. i think that's what we'd say i'd say engage with with your team around you listen and engage with people I think people make transformation happen. You can, we can create the best plans. Many, many transformations are brilliantly planned, fantastically thought through. Executing them yes. is all about people. If you can't engage people, you might as well tear that plan up yeah, and go with a completely different one. Yeah. Because if you can't get people on board, then then you know, you can't win the battle. No, absolutely. Well, thanks, Lisa. Um, another great session. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your experience with us today. Uh, are you happy to receive questions from listeners looking for clarification on any of the points if I sort of pull them together and, co- and uh, uh, co- coordinate them? Of course I am, Tony. Super. Thank Fine. you. For, it's just thanks a great for giving way. me the opportunity. No, no, it's really useful. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Brilliant. So that's it. Another episode in the can, as they say. Once again, thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. 
If you'd like to know more about Lisa or any of the people that join us in the coming weeks, please do get in touch with me. You'll find my contact details in the show notes. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast so that we can let you know about upcoming editions. Also, I'd be delighted if you could share the content through your social media accounts. The more people that we can get interested in transformation, the better for us all. See you soon.